All right, tonight I want to dig into a teaching called Crucial Conversations. This one is going to be a little more practical, I think, than uh, our last two, but something that, honestly, for me, it's been a huge life hack. And as I've been preparing for tonight, there's been opportunity for Crucial Conversations this week already in my life. Um, and so I've had some direct application immediately as well. Um, but this is a teaching that was brought to the staff by Pastor Tim years and years ago. So some of this might seem familiar for some of you, um, but I definitely have a few different things that are uh, a little bit more fresh takes on it, at least from my perspective and point of view. All this is based out of a book called Crucial Conversations. Um, and uh, it's an awesome book. There's multiple versions with, with um, kind of authors from all over the place, but the main author is Joseph um, Gaffey. And so you can look that up and uh, it's an awesome book. It's really, really good. And it goes into way more in depth than what I'm doing tonight. But this is a resource uh, for you. And truth is, I did not read this book in its entirety because it's been kind of a flagship teaching for us as a staff um, from Tim from years ago. And so it's something that's continually um, just been something I've leaned on through my life. So I, I hope this blesses you. Crucial Conversations, if you look in the Bible, you will see crucial conversations everywhere. You think about Jesus, he didn't skirt around the truth. He's someone that told you the truth, and he's someone that we need to not only model our life after, but live life with him. And if you live life with Jesus long enough, he will lead you into a place where crucial conversations will be a part, um, not only of your life, but hopefully a piece of your discipleship, of following Jesus that will get you closer uh, to the person that he created you to be in a lot of different ways. So crucial conversations, they're everywhere. They're all over, all over scripture. Now, when I think of some crucial conversations in scripture, specifically con specific conversations, I have to think of the Last Supper, of the, of the upper room. Because if you think of a crucial conversation, Jesus is eating the last meal with his followers. Those 12 that would be pillars and, and just staples of the early church and advancing the gospel and having that last meal with his disciples. And it, we have the passage in your study guide. We're not gonna read it in its entirety tonight, but I hope you dig into that and you can see the tension um, that's in that room, but also feel um, what Jesus is, is portraying in this. And you can lean back on that as a good model for what we're talking about tonight in a lot of different way. But can you imagine what that conversation felt like specifically? Like imagine yourself at the table and Jesus as one of his followers and he is laying out all of these things. The, the, the last bit of how we're gonna remember him. He's, he's talking about what's gonna happen in the next 24 hours. I mean, you hear everything from Judas, Judas leaving the room to Peter's denial, the prediction of that, and it leads to the garden. I mean, it's that whole night is one big crucial conversation. And this probably was maybe the most crucial conversation in all of mankind and humanity. Have you, ever, have you ever been a part of a conversation that had just a lot of weight in it? And you could, it's almost tangible, like you can feel it. It's kind of what a crucial conversation is. But crucial conversations don't always look like that specifically. There can be more simple ones. Have you ever just been talking with a stranger that has a big old piece of food in their mouth? Like, like maybe on their tooth? Lipstick on the teeth, yeah. Like they, that person might have to have a crucial conversation um, at some level. At some level, I remember I was a kids camp or a kids church pastor here uh, at the church for six years, and I did kids camps uh, up in uh, kind of on the Mesa in general. But in Cedar Ridge, I remember we were doing the kids camp this one time, and um, 
At the end of kids camp, what we do is we slime one of the leaders, and the kids vote on which leader it is. And so we don't know who's going to get slimed until like the very last night. And I always didn't want to get slimed because I also had to load the trailer. And when you load the trailer <laughs> covered in slime, it's really tough. And so what I would do before that last service is I'd go uh, and I'd change into my like swim trunks and the shirt that I didn't care <laughs> got like annihilated. And then I'd put my clothes back over top again so I'm just ready to go if, if the time calls. And so that last service came on one year and I went, I did, I put my swim trunks on, I got my like old nasty shirt, then I put on my team colors and all the, like my outfit I had over that and I went into service and the first thing I had to do was lead a game. So I'm on stage leading a game and I'm like, telling the kids where to go, doing all the things. And then JL is also on mic with me. And she comes up to me, and she grabs her mic, and she looks at the wall. Like, she's looking away from the kids. I'm looking toward the kids. And she just has a crucial conversation that lasts, like, three words. She goes, your fly is down. <laughs> Quickest crucial conversation I've ever had in my entire life. And I immediately ran off stage. <laughs> What's nice about kids camp is they're like, oh, like they didn't really, didn't really care. And I, and I addressed the situation after that. But it was one of those things that crucial conversations can take many forms. But we're going to talk about tonight a few different questions that I want to address when it comes to crucial conversations so that we can navigate them well to where they're going to hopefully by the end of a season or the end of at least a, a specific struggle, you're going to be better off than where you started in a lot of different ways. So the few different questions, three different questions I want to address tonight. Why do we avoid crucial conversations? What makes crucial conversations important? And how do we navigate crucial conversations today? So the first one, why do we avoid them? Now, there's three different things that make up a crucial conversation in general. And these are the easiest reasons why we would easily try to avoid a crucial conversation, or at least in the flesh part of you, just go, I don't want to do that. And the, the first thing is opposing opinions. You'll always see an opposing opinions within a crucial conversation at some level. And even some of you right now would be like, that sounds awful already. Already it does, and I totally get that. I do. Opposing opinions are never fun to deal with, and especially in this day and age, you can get faced with opposing opinion as soon as you click on the news, as soon as you scroll Facebook. And by the way, I'm not telling you to engage in a crucial conversation if you just see an opinion on Facebook you don't agree with, okay? Think about that. We'll learn about that later. But you'll see opposing emotions and you'll, or opposing op opinions, and you'll also see strong emotions. Because maybe some of us have had conversations where there are opposing opinions, but there's not strong emotions. You're just trying to figure out where you wanted to eat, and one person already had Chinese food the day before, and that's all the opposing opinion is. But if there's strong emotion involved, all of a sudden that ups it again, right? And, all, and, and now you're in a spot where, okay... It seems like there's more tension already if you have both of those things, opposing opinions and strong emotions. But if you add on top of that high stakes, that what's in jeopardy in this conversation could have the possibility to change your way of life or change um, a big component in, in how you're living or something like that, man, that, you, that now you have yourself a crucial conversation. So crucial conversation will always have those three parts to it, an opposing opinion, strong emotions, and high stakes. So if you find yourself in a place with that, hopefully this teaching is something you can lean back on because the truth is you'll, you won't always know when these are coming. They can spring on you from time to time. Now, if you look at Jesus sitting at the table in the upper room, you can see all of these things. You can see opposing opinions. The disciples had a lot of different opinions of what the kingdom would look like, had a lot of different opinions of what it like what it was going to look like for Jesus, 
to take the throne as king of kings. I wouldn't doubt that some of them still might have thought that he was going to straight up overthrow Rome. I think a lot of them had some good ideas, but you can see within the next 24 hours, they all abandoned Jesus at some level. And so right there, we see that there are probably some opposing opinions. Obviously, strong emotions. In, um, in the passage that's in your study guide, which gospel did I use? I used the right one. Matthew. In Matthew, it talks about how they were greatly distressed at Jesus' words. There's strong emotion there. There's strong emotion. And of course, if you think about it, you can't have higher stakes than saving the world from sin. So you can see all of those things in there. Opposing opinions, strong emotions, high stakes that cause us to be or act differently than in other moments when those things aren't at play. And maybe you can deal with one or two of them at the same time, but when you have all three, you're going to need these skills. So that's, those are some reasons we avoid crucial conversations. Another reason is just our personality sometimes. There's some personalities that will lean a little bit more toward avoiding conflict or crucial conversations more than others. Now, we just talked about identity. So when I talk about personality profiles, I want you to know a personality test or the thing that we use, we use the terms like sanguine, melancholy, cleric, phlegmatic, that test itself, those are not portions of like who you are. It's a communication tool. Now, there's maybe something in there speaks to you and you're like, yeah, that's part of who I am. But all personality tests have strengths and weaknesses. I don't think God intended us to claim a weakness as who we are. Does that make sense? So don't let a personality test define you, but learning about how you communicate, how, how you intake information, and how, how you um, communicate information is valuable tool, just knowing your personality. So someone who's a sanguine, who's like life of the party, might lean a little bit away from crucial conversations because they don't want to kill the vibe. It's pretty simple. Like, you know what? Let's just keep the party going. Let's keep it light. Let's keep it, keep it nice. And then you'll have like a, a melancholy, which is my main trait. Is a melancholy, detail-oriented. A lot of times, I don't want to go wade into conflict or crucial conversations just because I honestly think that it won't matter that much, <laughs> that, that I know the best way and they won't want to do it anyway, so um, <laughs> it won't even matter. So that's, that's a reason that I would want to lean away from conflict. The phlegmatics, peaceful phlegmatics, is my wife. That is like loathe conflict. Like, the last possible thing I ever want to do is mean conflict. That, that would, it's, you're a peaceful person. That's part of your personality. And then you have the cleric person, the person who's brassy and blunt and can take a project and quarterback it all the way to the end zone. That person, it's not like they enjoy conflict. Like, very rarely do they enjoy conflict, but they're just willing to, in the middle of a meeting, just stop the meeting, pick up the phone, say, what's their number? Let's call them. <laughs> we'll take care of this right now. And they can blow into a conversation so much to where they actually do a little bit more damage than good ripping off that Band-Aid, so to speak. So this is something that you can lean on if you're, no matter what your personality trait is, know that your personality may want to lean a little bit more toward avoiding than wading into. But again, through Jesus and through just the way he lived his life, crucial conversations are a part that are going to make you more of who God says you are and who he made you to be. So what makes crucial conversations so important? Crucial conversations are important because when they're handled correctly, they're going to get us closer to our goal or our mission, not further away from it. We all have a goal or a mission. Now, some of us, you can think of that like, I've been placed on this planet for a specific purpose and mission. That's true. I believe God has done that for every one of us, placed us specifically for a specific reason. But some of us just also wake up, I have, a, I have some things I need to get done today, and that's, and that's what I need to do. 
And I think that whether you're waking up and you have a mission for the day or some goals that you're trying to set, maybe you're just trying to lose weight, maybe you're trying to run a triathlon, maybe you're trying, like, whatever it could be, we can look at conflict and our perspective of conflict can impact how we get to our goals and how we get to our mission as well. And crucial conversations can play a vital role in getting us closer to that mission or getting us a little bit further away from it in a lot of different ways. So when we... <laughs> Like, I have no idea what he was doing up there. He's torturing us. Let's enter into this crucial conversation. This is where I wanted to get you tonight. Um, so when you wake up in the morning or whatever it is, you, you wake up during the day and you have, say you, you can see your goal and you can see your mission. And it's just like on level, level ground. And so you see, like, I see it within sight. I know what I need to do to be able to get there. That's kind of like what we envision every day to look like where it's like, okay, I'm just going to advance. I'm going to go. I'm going to be the person that God created me to be. I'm going to partner with him in my life. I'm going to, you know, do these things, faith with works. I'm going to get to that spot. But where crucial conversations come into play, our perspective of them can drastically change how obtainable we see our mission and our goal. Like all of a sudden, it's not necessarily in sight. Or furthermore, a conflict or a crucial conversation especially if it's neglected, and this is why they're so important, you're no longer on level ground with your goal or mission. If you avoid a conflict or a crucial conversation at some level, the longer you avoid that, the more in between you and your goal, it looks like a canyon or this pit that all of a sudden you're like, it is a nightmare to get through that because you're thinking of all the different things that you're going to have to do to be able to get to that point. And you think about it like within, oh, say, your marriage relationship, where you've put off talking about this one thing that continues to come up in the back of your mind, but you've never voiced it before, but you've put it off for so long, to wade into that feels like you're going to go into the Grand Canyon and try and get out the other side. But if you realize that that canyon is just a lie, it's just a lie. That pit that's in front of you that the crucial conversation seems like, and I'm talking about no matter the circumstance, that's just not the truth. See, the truth is that if you were to go through a crucial conversation to get to your goal, your goal and your mission is actually not on the same level with you. I submit to you that your goal and your mission, if you navigate a crucial conversation well, is better than you ever thought it could be. And it's on a higher level than you ever thought possible. That there, there could be more trust in a situation than you ever thought there could be. There could be more healing in a place than you ever thought possible if you were to wade into a situation like Jesus would. And no, we're not perfect. We're not going to do it right. And it is dependent on another person, how they receive it. But the potential for your goal to be and your mission to be so much more beautiful than you ever thought possible, that's what our perspective needs to be. Because the importance of a crucial conversation could mean a richer and more satisfying life, like Jesus tells us, like Jesus speaks about in the Bible. So our perspective is really important when it comes to crucial conversations because they're either going to be a pit or they're going to be a pathway. They're either going to be a pit to despair or a pathway to life. That's the truth of what a crucial conversation could be. That's why they're important. Another reason they're important is because they have long-lasting effects on us. How we react and how we navigate a crucial conversation will have long-lasting effects. Trust will either go up or it's going to go down. 
depending on how you navigate that conversation. If you navigate that conversation well, your trust with that other person you have that conflict with, it's going to get stronger. Your communication is going to get better. If you don't navigate it well, that trust could go down. Or if you avoid it for long enough, it'll get diminished to a point where, honestly, the trust within that relationship or scenario or situation, it's worthless. Your influence will be affected for the good or for the bad. Your influence with that person. You've been waiting to talk to your boss about that promotion, but the longer you've avoided that, the harder it becomes to be able to do that. And maybe you've even lost influence to be able to ask something like that. And you can put this in any conflict, any relationship in your life. You could lose or gain influence. You can lose or gain respect as well. This is a big one. Resentment can happen if you don't navigate a crucial conversation well, or you avoid it. And resentment has long-lasting effects. On the deliverance ministry team, we see that all the time. Unforgiveness has got to be one of the top 80% of things that we deal with when it comes to just spiritual healing and inner healing. And resentment can just root and turn into some terrible, terrible things down the road. But the opposite of resentment being what something like acceptance or being something like, like trust, like a, a healthy relationship where there's not resentment there, there's love. Oh, man. You say your mission, your goal with that person's on another level. If you were to wade into that crucial conversation, navigating it correctly. So it can have long-lasting effects. So right now, maybe you've already been doing this. I want you to think about someone that you have unresolved conflict with. Just real quick. Someone you have unresolved conflict with. Someone that there's, there's something that needs to be fixed. Someone you need to have a crucial conversation with. It probably didn't take you long to come up with that person. It probably didn't. We avoid these types of things. We, we need to understand the importance of them because the tension that you're feeling right now matters. And I feel like Jesus does want to bring healing to not only what's in your head right now, but what is in your future down the road as well. So question three, how can we navigate crucial conversations? This is like the, the nitty-gritty of practicals here. And I'm not just talking about navigating them. I want to talk about navigating them well. When, it, when conversations turn from casual to crucial, because that could happen at a drop of a dime. Remember, this is a scenario like where maybe it's not something you've been planning or prepping for, but it's something that gets sprung on you. When the conversation turns from casual to crucial, we need to make sure that when it matters most, we're doing our best and not our worst. So how can we do that? I use the word navigate because we don't always, we're not always going to be in that seat of the person doing the prep work. So the first step to navigating crucial conversations is to identify the ones you can see. By identifying the ones you can see, it will help you prepare yourself for the ones you can't, you can't see coming. Because the truth is, if I know there's a crucial conversation that in my marriage that I can see down the road, chances are it could be on her radar too, or at least a version of it. So if I can start to identify those in my life first, it's going to help me navigate the ones I can't see as well. So how do I identify them? A couple questions I think you can ask yourself. If you find yourself stuck with a chronic problem, like a chronic problem keeps coming up or a chronic issue or a relationship, there's something there. In regards to that thing, ask yourself, what crucial conversation are we not holding or are we not holding well? Because maybe at some level, like you've worked on your communication, you have some of these skills, but 
maybe you're just not stewarding that conversation well. And honestly, as I've been preparing for this, there's been a few in my personal life, I'm like, oh man, I'm preaching to the choir tonight, Jesus, and I get it. So what crucial conversations are you, are you not holding or not holding well? Because if you want that peace at home, you have to think about what's the conversation that I'm not having that's going to bring me that peace. Does that make sense? Like there's this issue at home, but I know that if I want to go home, I don't want to deal with the conversation because I want my house to be a house of peace. But what is stopping that? What's in between you and that mission, you and that goal? Is it less anxiety at work? What's the conversation not happening to get there? Is it strain in your marriage? What's the conversation not happening to get there? Because the truth is everyone gets to a point where you're going to have to make a choice. You're going to have to make a choice. You're either going to talk it out or you're going to act it out. You're either going to talk it out or you're going to act it out. What I mean by this, what I mean by this is this. Ask yourself this question. How is not addressing the issue affecting your behavior? So think about that person, or maybe just any, is there anyone in your life that you're acting a little bit differently around? Or maybe if you know someone's coming, you may be quicken up the pace to get out of the room. <laughs> or that text message that you see come through, you don't open it because you don't want to see it marked red. You know what I'm talking about. Are there people in your life that you act different around than who you really are? If that's the case, if you start seeing some of those things, you start leaning toward, yeah, like whenever I, I talk to my, my boss, I just get anxious and I get, I get weird and I say awkward stuff. I don't like it. Chances are there's probably a crucial conversation that needs to happen at some level. And I'll address this later. It might be simply between you and God first that needs to happen. But is there, is there something that you're doing that's changing your behavior? Because if you don't talk it out, you'll act it out with that weird behavior, with that interesting thing that you're doing that's making you different. That's what acting it out means. If you don't talk it out, you'll end up acting it out. Look at your behavior. See how it may change around some people. That may give you a clue of like, oh man, maybe there's a crucial conversation they need to have. And as you do this, especially as you do your challenge this week, you may come up with some small stuff that maybe it doesn't have all three characteristics. There's no high stakes here. I get that. But you know what? It could improve our trust in our marriage. It's not a deal breaker, but it'll make us better. You know, think about those different things and how Jesus would handle that with you as well. So step one to navigating is to just identify. Identify the conversations. Step two to navigating is to identify the truth. Identify the truth that needs to be communicated. So identify what, now I know what conversation I need to have. What is the actual truth I need to say? Because you better believe the enemy is going to be speaking inside this process as well. And he's going to be trying casting lies. He's going to be trying to, do, trying to do that. So asking God, going to him, like, what is the truth that I actually need to portray here? will help you do some self-reflection because the truth is when you're in the crucial conversation, it's not all about you. It's not. You have to leave a portion within that conversation to listen as well. That you may not know the whole truth. And talking to them and listening, you may be able to get that during that conversation. So, what is that truth? Identify that truth that needs to be spoken. At about the age of three, we begin to believe a myth. The myth is that we have to choose between telling the truth and keeping a friend. How do we know this? 
This is a dated video, but take a look at it. We all know adults stink at talking about tough things, but how about little kids? Here's my experiment. Feed kids wretched brownies, then see if they'll tell you the truth, especially when they think it might hurt your feelings. First I made the brownies. Lots of chocolate, eggs and flour, but instead of sugar, I put in salt. Lots of salt. There's no way they could like these better. Now I recruit kids of various ages for a taste test. I tell them I want to compare ordinary brownies to my special brownies. My dear grandmother's special recipe. My dear dead grandmother's special recipe. Then I give them a dollar for being such a big help. My parents always taught me that if you want someone to like you, give them money. Okay, here goes. First they ate the yummy sugar brownies. Next, they eat the salt bricks. Watch this girl. She can hardly keep from gagging. And now for the crucial moment. Will they tell me the truth and possibly offend me? I asked them to point to the brownies they like best. No surprise that some tried to spare my feelings. But watch. Even the one who gagged? And how about really little kids? But do you want to know what they really thought? Here, guys, I have leftovers. Does anybody want seconds? Right back in there, that's right. Oh, man. So that myth is that we have to choose between telling the truth and keeping a friend. Sparing people's feelings when it comes, when we're navigating crucial conversations can actually hinder it a little bit. And I know that sounds maybe even a little anti-Jesus, but we see many times in Scripture Jesus wade through that still, that saying the truth in its entirety and not holding some of that truth back. And I think it's important to also have love inside of that truth, too. And we'll talk about um, navigating, the, especially the first three minutes of that conversation in just a second. But Proverbs 28, 23 says, He who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. It's just the truth. We think to keep friends, we need to compromise the truth, but that's just not accurate. It's not. You can measure the health of a family, a team, or an organization by measuring the undiscussables. What is not allowed to be talked about? If there's a lot of them, chances are that family, that team, that organization, there may be some crucial conversations to have because health is something that might be in jeopardy at that point. And you have to think about when you're trying to identify the truth, you have to remove it from any other feelings or any other offense that may or may not happen. Because I do believe that is a, that is a, a pull of the enemy to try and Get in there so that you don't share really everything that's out there. 
And scripture in many different ways talks about a metaphor that you have to have something in the light for it to be exposed. And the truth sets you free. And Jesus wants to bring that truth out. We need to make sure we do that in a way that's loving and caring, but also we need to make sure it's the truth in its entirety. Now, there's certain things in the workplace maybe that you just can't talk about. It's like the business team that has a meeting and the truth is that the boss has checked out because of a personal issue in their life, but none of the team members want to actually call them out on it and now the business is suffering. For the family, it might be the kid that's gotten into drugs and you're afraid if you confront it, you'll push him further into it. Maybe it's a group of friends where there's someone in the group that's just causing everybody to feel uncomfortable for whatever reason, but it's never said to them because you didn't want to hurt them. Remember, crucial conversations are either going to be a pit or they're going to be a path. It's our journey with Jesus to figure out which one that's going to be. Because the truth that's going to set people free and not hold them back is called the rule of 2%. The rule of 2%. Saying the last 2% could have the power to set someone free or hold them back. What I mean by the last 2% is you might have shared 98% of everything that you're feeling and all the different things that are going on but it could be just that 2% that brings freedom to that relationship and freedom to your workplace or, or to that situation or that thing. So don't hold back even just 2%. Share that because it can be worth it. The Bible is full of conversations of people sharing 2%. God with Adam and Eve, God with Abraham, God with Isaac, God with Jacob, God with Joseph, God with Moses, but Moses with Pharaoh, Moses with Aaron and Miriam, Jethro with Moses. You get into further, further in the, the time you got God with Joshua, God with Gideon. You got Jonathan and David, and then David and then Jonathan, and then David and Saul, and then Samuel and Saul. You see, and then any conversation that Jesus had with anybody, you can see there's, there, there was nothing that's held back when it comes to truth. And we got to make sure we do the same thing as well. Now, step three this is what I'm going to end on, is to create a safe atmosphere. We got to create a safe atmosphere. So the first thing that we're going to do before the conversation, before the conversation is pray. Pray that God gives you the words, the wisdom, and the opportunity. That's important. Pray that God binds you to his truth, his love, and his peace. That's right at Ephesians 4.15. Pray that God will give you favor with the person. That's huge. God bestows favor. Pray that the person, this is big, will be teachable. And I think you should turn that right back around yourself too. Lord, make me teachable as well. And that's not to spare any of their feelings, but it's so that we can both grow together and we can see that that goal and that mission is on a higher level than we ever thought possible. Proverbs 16, seven says, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Hopefully we're not only in crucial conversations with enemies, but that's still the truth, right? The next thing, in step three, when you're creating a safe atmosphere, is to consider the timing. Consider the timing. All right, think about this. I, I personally will not discuss finances after 9 p.m. with my wife. I won't do it. I'm too tired. It's not fair. It's not fair. I'll get too, just because I'm tired, I'll get too irritable. Does that make sense? Like, consider the timing. So if you have a crucial conversation with someone and you're preparing before this conversation, choose a mutual time where it's pretty beneficial. People are maybe firing on all cylinders at that moment. Make sure no one's hangry either. 
Maybe it's after lunch, or if you're doing it during lunch, eat first, <laughs> right? Then wade into that crucial conversation stage. Consider that timing. It's important. You also want to just make sure there's a spot, you're choosing a spot that has little distraction as possible. If there's, if there's a place where you can be interrupted, things like that, these are little details that I think can matter when it comes to crucial conversation. You also have to make sure, and you can do this right before the conversation or just in your prep time before, but invite God into that room, into that place. God's presence changes the atmosphere. It does. If there's a crucial, crucial conversation I'm going to have in my home, I'm usually playing worship music just beforehand anyway. Because you're changing the atmosphere when you're doing that. Making sure you're doing that beforehand is, is crucial. Sorry, this is the one I'm going to end with. Step four, talk it out, don't act it out. Talk it out, don't act it out. This is actually doing it. Actually going into the crucial conversation. The first three minutes, this is the most crucial part right here. The first three minutes of a crucial conversation, you need to communicate two things very clearly within th the first three minutes. And that is a mutual purpose with that other person or those people which means I care about your goals. Like if you're going into the workplace with something like, I want you to know like you are, you are doing all the same things that I, I want, the, I want the same exact things that you want. And, and you're bringing, you're trying to bridge that gap between you and them. You're getting, you're getting to a point where you're just coming to them saying, I care about your goals. And the second thing you want to portray is mutual respect, meaning I care about you. If you don't communicate those things those two things in the first three minutes, 97% of the time, they won't hear you. I've said it so many times. Our, one of our missions here is that everybody who walks in the door feels known, heard, fought for, and loved. If you try and portray that in the first three minutes of a crucial conversation, I believe you're doing more work in those first three minutes than you need to the rest of the conversation. If you guys can realize you're on the same team here, fighting the same enemy. If they're a Christian, you can be like, the enemy's trying to do this or that. Like, I've done that many times in my relationships and friendships and in my wife, you know, in our marriage, with my kids. Like, hey, let's get on the same team here. Do that. That'll mean a lot. Remember that tone and attitude matter a lot too. It's not just about what you're saying. It's about how you're saying it. It's about how you're saying it. It can be just as important as what you're saying. And remember, if you're really familiar with this person, don't let that breed contempt. If you're really familiar with them, you may let your guard down a little, and all of a sudden your tone's coming out just different because you're familiar with them. If I'm walking into a crucial conversation with Pastor Senior, I'm going to watch my tone. <laughs> I think I will. If I'm waiting into a conversation with my son, I'm really familiar with it, I can get harsh fast. He's four. He might not need that. He doesn't need it, I'll be clear, right? So think about those things. If you're familiar with that person, still watch the way you're saying, the way you're communicating those things. An easy illustration for this, uh, I love how Pastor Tim did it, but um, he did it within the marriage relationship. And for wives that maybe have an issue, and this is my wife, I've been, this has been communicated to me, but the clothes that are next to the hamper and not inside of it, but really close to it, Okay, don't look around, just stay here, okay? Stay with me, stay with me. 
Like, that is a thing. And there's a lot of times where the communication for that can go, are you kidding me? It's three feet. You can't move it from here to there. There's times I've left a shirt on top of the hamper. I didn't open it. I just left it on top. And uh, I try and be like, well, it's just not as dirty. Doesn't hold up. Doesn't hold up. (laughs) But if you wade into that whole conversation going, are you kidding me? Why can't you just lift the thing up and put it in there? And I understand that as a guy. I get that. I do. I do. And I know that that there's a shortcoming that has been in my life too. But if instead of going into that crucial conversation, because obviously something that continues to happen, maybe it's a chronic thing, and this is a simple thing, but you can apply it to no matter how high stakes the conversation is. If you go into that conversation differently, and instead of right before bedtime when it's approved, you do it in the middle of the day, and you say something like, honey, I see how you work like I do. I see you. I know that you work hard. I know you're working hard all day long. You want to come home. And honestly, I want to have a, a place of peace too. I want to be able to have a home that you, you can come home and you can like, Sigh that good sigh. And it's good. And it's good. There's a few things I think that if, if we kind of work together on some stuff, I think that we can get to that place quicker where we can just relax, we can hang out, and just like be able to maybe even talk more, date more, have more fun. You know what I'm talking about? To, do, to get to that spot a little bit quicker, maybe like help me out with the dishes a little bit. If we can work together on that, maybe the laundry a little, and, and, and kind of pick things up so that, like, my mind, all those bubbles are, are checked, their, their bubbles are gone, and, and, and we can just really enjoy each other. W- which scenario do you think you're going to get a better reaction out of? Now, of course, hope, hopefully in your head you're like, well, I'm trying that. But you see the difference there. You're, you're communicating the same content, but you're, the way you're doing it is just way different. So that same scenario can work in the workplace, whatever that crucial conversation is. So we're going to jump into our group discussions now. And um, hopefully this is a thing where um, you can kind of communicate a little bit about it. Obviously, some of those people might be in the room you need to have a crucial conversation with. I challenge you this week, journal about it. Take this stuff to God first. Let him speak to you about it because chances are God's going to have you wade into one of these so that you can get to a higher level of your relationship with him than you ever thought possible. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much, God, for what you're doing. Thank you so much for the baptisms that are next door happening right now. God, thank you for what you're doing here. But above everything else, God, I pray that your spirit can come close. You can bless us in our conversations. And God, Lord, we want to just partner with you. Show us how our goals and our mission can be not only yours with you, but on a new level than we ever thought possible. Give us the courage and the strength to wade into even tough conversations. God, let us have your courage and your strength, your truth, your love, and all of this. God, we thank you. We love you in your name. Amen.